at some point I rejected that I had to be like that old boys club masculine energy vibe to accomplish what I wanted to accomplish. And in fact, I almost saw it as a challenge. Like, watch me show you how to not do all of those things and still achieve and get ahead. And let me change the trajectory for other women that come behind me and show them how to be high achieving, driven, smart as hell, but also very kind and empathetic and a good people manager and see myself as a whole person and see other people as a whole person. You're listening to the Mothercraft Podcast, the podcast that will help you feel less alone through pregnancy, the early days of postpartum, and throughout your journey of motherhood. I'm your host, Sarah Dunn. Let's get to the show. Kara is a tech executive, an entrepreneur at heart, and the charismatic host of a new podcast. With over a decade's worth of startup adventures, she tackles the roller coaster of the tech world by day and channels that expertise into hosting the Gateless podcast by night, a platform featuring the untold stories of successful women doing big things. Fueled by a passion for inspiring women to bet boldly on themselves, Kara is on a mission to reshape norms, amplify voices, and propel women towards success on their own terms. Beyond the hustle of business ventures, Kara's world is made so much sweeter by her teammate, aka husband, and her adorable baby boy. Kara, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited for this conversation, mostly because I've been able to watch your journey and I'm really excited to share your story, but I'm also really excited to dig into some of the questions I have about how you've been able to navigate your professional life, being a mom, how being a mom has impacted all your advancements. Let's say that. So with that, the very first question that I have for you is, and one of the reasons I'm so excited to to talk with you today is that I believe that it's a common narrative that women are told throughout pregnancy and particularly in the early years of motherhood that we should expect to slow down, to set our ambitions aside for like another time and really just understand, like really just accept that that's going to happen. And in watching your story, (laughs) you literally did the opposite. You got promoted while pregnant, you changed jobs and got a promotion in the first year of your kid's life. You started your own business. And I would just love for you to share a little bit about how have you done all of that? Okay, yes. I I mean, I would love to talk about that. So there's a few there's a few important things to touch on, I suppose. The first being just generally speaking like my belief system and how it's it's been most of my life, but especially as I've come into feeling more confident and sure of myself probably post I don't know, somewhere like mid to late 20s, I actually got some a tiny bit of confidence along the way. (laughs) And that's been a very big body of work for me. And I'm sure we'll get into it. But my core belief system, even just as long as I can remember is if somebody tells me that it should be one way, I want to look at it through every single angle and lens and make sure that I agree with that before I'm going to follow that train of thought, thus impacting my actions and like how I set my goals and things like that. And that's been one that has been said to us our whole lives. Like you said, when you enter into motherhood, that's going to be a beautiful, wonderful phase. 
but it's probably not going to be the phase for career. It's probably not going to be the phase for personal development. It's probably not going to be the phase of financial growth and abundance. And that's okay because there's this beautiful thing happening in your life. And while I buy into the latter part of that, there's this beautiful thing happening in your life. I just don't buy into and never and never have bought into that you have to take a step back during that phase. And I couldn't ever really explain it. I just knew, you know, there's tons of norms that are thrown at us all the time. And you choose if you want to believe in that and it feels right for you or you choose that you don't. And this was just one that I didn't. And so I didn't know what that was going to look like when I became a mother. I didn't know what it was. It's not like I had this intentional plan of like, okay, when I get pregnant and become a mom, (laughs) I'm going to freaking hit the gas pedal and go. It's just how it happened. But it's also, I I shouldn't say that it's so happenstance because a lot of times motherhood directly aligns with women when they're at the peak of their career. And that is like the biggest fundamental thing that I'm like, no, we're in, for me, it was in my early 30s that I became a mom. And as I was doing the math and looking at my career path and where I would be and my plans, I was like, this is gonna, this is gonna align. This is not going to be a point where I can just take a back seat in that moment of my life and my career. So I always felt it and I knew it that it was going to align, but I didn't know exactly how it was going to shape out for me. And I, so a few things happened. One was I intentionally chose to be at a job in my late twenties into my early thirties where I felt supported by my leadership team. And the only reason that mattered to me was because I knew they looked at me as a whole person, not just as a producer. And I thought that that would probably serve me well in being able to balance the other parts of my life that were going to become important to me. And so that was an intentional intentional decision. That was probably one of the only intentional decisions around it. And then as I saw my career accelerate in my late 20s, early 30s, and I saw what the potential stepping stones for me could be, I made sure to just be really conscious of who I surrounded myself with, where I was going to spend my time, the job that I was going to take, the leader that I wanted to work for. And I, I was just about to say I got lucky, but I didn't get lucky. I was intentional and I made the decision based on that. And so when I got pregnant, this is actually a this is an interesting story. So before I got pregnant, I was actually considering moving to Dublin for my current employer at the time to start help start a new office. We were expanding into EMEA and there was a need for a strategic sales person there. And I was really excited about it. I had a mentor pretty early in my career say, if you get an opportunity to move and that's going to accelerate and propel your career forward, always say yes. And it's going to be hard sometimes because you'll have to move, leave friends behind. It's going to be hard sometimes because you might have to leave relationships. But trust me, do it. And I literally, I mean, you know this, like there were times where we lived in the same city because I said yes. And I left all those things behind. And I know that that's not possible for everybody and not everybody's comfortable with that. But for me, it felt like something that excited me and I could take take that on. So in this instance, I wasn't leaving my husband behind. He was going to come with me. But it was something I was super, super excited about. And then I was almost all the way through the process of finalizing that move. And I found out that I was pregnant. And the first thought that I had wasn't, oh, no, I can't go anymore. The first thought I had was, oh, my gosh, how cool. I'm going to have a baby in Europe. Oh, my gosh, how cool. My my child is going to live his first life somewhere that's not here. 
and like the experiences that I would have with my husband, with my child navigating the workforce there actually felt really exciting to me because I think Europe does a much better job of supporting new moms. So the plan was to keep it moving and, and continue to go. And the only thing that really changed was that there ended up being an opportunity to take on a promotion in the US if I stayed. And nobody knew I was pregnant during any of these conversations, the one about moving to Europe or the one about the internal promotion. And I would say that was the second thing. Like, I didn't feel like it was very important for people to know that while they were making decisions about me and my career trajectory and getting bought into me taking on a leadership role within the business. And I actually waited until I think I was six months pregnant to tell anyone. And while I acknowledge that we shouldn't have to withhold that information to be propelled forward in our careers, for me, at the time, seeing the whole landscape of what I was working with, which was unique to me, it's not going to be the same for everybody. I knew the people that were going to be involved in the decision. I knew what the decision meant for the business. I knew what the decision meant for me. And it just felt like it wasn't a relevant piece of information for anybody to know when they were deciding whether I got promoted to a leadership role at a really high growth, big, important, successful company. Right. And the other thing I thought of, and I always try to think of this is, If I can get this promotion as a woman, the only woman that would have gotten this promotion, I'm going to make it easier for anybody that comes behind me and tries to get this, whether I'm pregnant or not, whether I'm married or not, regardless of how old I am, it's going to help. So like this is, yes, it's going to benefit me, but it's also bigger than me. So that was, that was an intentional decision that I made. And then I think the final piece of your question that plays into your question is around the fact that when... We are told that we have to prioritize or choose between two things. A lot of people say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like, I should choose my leading part of my life being my family or my leading part of my life being my career. And in a lot of instances, it does feel like a choice. But what I've always really just not accepted is that you can't have it all. Like you, you can, you just have to make the decisions on what, what does have it all mean? What you can't have is a flourishing family life relationship, flourishing friendships, great relationship with your work and your career, and also a ton of free time to watch TV and do nothing and say yes to every girl's night and say yes to every trip and say yes to every, everything. That is what you can't have. But what you can have is just a really intentional focus on how you use your time. Most importantly, how you use your energy and prioritizing self is what I think makes having it all actually possible. At least that was my experience. So as soon as it clicked for me that the more I worked on myself, the more I worked on my mindset, the more I worked on my relationships with, the more I worked on those things about myself, my relationships with my spouse, my family, my friends, and my work all flourished because I had my my own shit together. I don't know yeah. if we can cuss on this podcast, but we can t- as soon as I got I, my you know me? shit together. <laughs> yeah. As soon as I got my shit together is when I saw like I can actually balance all these things. And I'm not suggesting that that's like an easy thing. I work on it literally every single day of my life. But I just reject the fact that you have to choose and you have to take a backseat of your career, your family has to take a has to be paused because you're flourishing your career. It's really about doing the self work so that you can 
have harmony and balance in your life and do and feel proud of how both areas are going. And again, that looks very different for everybody, but I hope that Yeah, helpful. no, I it was really helpful. And I think there's, I kind of want to break this up into what happened during your pregnancy first and then dive into postpartum life because they're two different things. But, you know, it's interesting because in my experience, becoming a mom, mom guilt is something that shows up. And I think it shows up. I, I don't know that I knew how to name it during pregnancy, but I think it is the, for me, it's exactly what you were just talking about. Like thinking about like, what is best for me and my body and the growing baby postpartum? It's like, what's best for my (laughs) actual baby, (laughs) the baby outside of me and like, what's best for my career. And I guess I'm curious. I just, I want to spend like two more minutes on this, not actual two more minutes, but a few more minutes on this, just because my expectation is that a lot of women would experience some version of guilt taking on a bigger role at a company and not, I, I appreciated the context you shared about like why you didn't share that you were pregnant. But I guess internally, the question is what was happening for you internally? And did you at any point during your pregnancy and not sharing that you were pregnant grapple with feelings of guilt? Like, did that show up for you at all? Yeah. The feeling of guilt around me not sharing that I was pregnant only came up a little bit when I did think through the impact that me being gone for the months of my mat leave would have on my team and not even so much the business. I didn't take on the guilt of, okay, maybe the business isn't going to hit a number because I'm gone. I took on more guilt around, I'm a people manager And when I'm out for the months of mat leave, those people aren't going to have their leader and that will Mm. be hard. And fortunately, I chose to work for that boss that saw me as a whole person, not just a high performer. And he made sure that there was a contingency plan in place and that my people would have a leader in my absence. And it also happened to be somebody that I thought was amazing and great and trusted. So that got rid of a lot of that guilt. And I, again, recognize that not everybody has that luxury and circumstance, but I made that intentional decision to work for somebody and a company in my phase of life where I thought I might have a family because I knew that I would be supported beyond just what I needed to do in my work life. I would be supported as a holistic person that also had a family and was also of the age of having children. So the guilt around what was happening inside of me around taking on a leadership role, even though I knew I was about to have a baby... I mean, I, if I'm being totally honest, there was not and still has not been a single ounce of guilt that I have felt as it relates to my son for taking on bigger roles in business. And the reason for that is because I care a lot more about having a career that he can brag about one day and being an example of him for him of somebody who makes him feel amazing and is the most supportive mom in the world to him, but also is a badass for lack of a better word. I like that is so important to me to give him the example of wow, my mom my mom did a lot. She was a person she was a whole person outside of just being a mom, but she also still made me feel like I was the most important person in the world. And so that's a goal of mine and I think that trumped any guilt that I might have felt knowing that I would have occasionally have to make decisions to travel and not be with him or, you know, work late or work long hours. So, yeah, I don't feel guilt around that. I love that. And I think what I'm hearing and what you're saying is that because 
you humanized your relationship with business. Like the truth is business is not like this outside entity. It's done with people amongst people that you were able to successfully create that relationship both up and down, right? So that helped when you bring the human aspect into work. <laughs> it makes it it makes the conversations easier as opposed to pretending that work in business is this thing that's done outside of human interaction. So thanks for that. Before we move on to your accomplishments in the first year of your son's life, I want to touch on this piece that you keep talking about around people seeing you as a whole person, you seeing people as a whole person. And you mentioned earlier that you had to do quite a bit of work around your confidence to engage and show up and be intentional in work. And I guess I'm just curious because, well, I guess I'm curious to know, was there an event or a series of events that led you to a point that made you think, I got to change how I show up and work because it sounds like you were in a healthy place when you were pregnant and, and in postpartum, which is awesome. And it's not lucky. It's because of the work you did. And I'm curious to know, like, did that happen years before you got pregnant? Like, just talk a little bit about how you actually built that confidence to create the relationships in the environment that allowed you to thrive and have continued to allow you, allow you to thrive throughout transitions in your life. Yeah, this is an interesting one. There's a few things here. I can't say that I had tons of great examples necessarily of women in leadership being super supported as a whole person, as I keep saying. And in fact, I had some probably bad examples of how they weren't supported and they were made to feel like they were falling behind while they were on mat leave or there's so many ways that that comes up. They got back from that leave and their territory was totally changed. They didn't actually get a full payment while they were gone. Like so many ways that the action, it doesn't matter what people say and the company says, like the actions are what makes you feel supported or not. So there were a lot of bad examples and that never felt <laughs> great to watch. But there's also this concept of, you know, like we talk a lot about the good old boys clubs and masculine energy in the workforce. And it's a concept that I discovered a couple of years ago around being somebody that's type A, very driven, achievement oriented, whatever that number is on all of the personality tests, but somebody that also is soft. And I've I've always felt like somebody that has both and I, I do have a side of me that's super masculine energy. And I think I've learned that through watching how you have to be, how you have to act and how you have to communicate in order to be successful. I watched what that looked like and created some formulation in my brain of, okay, the people that are, that are in leadership roles, achieving, making a lot of money and progressing very quickly in their career are this type of person. And for me, a lot of those examples, especially having an entire career in tech sales, were men with old boys club masculine energy. And it always felt like a dichotomy to me, or at least this like internal juxtaposition of I can, I can hang, I can do that. But I also have this side of me that is very soft and caring and empathetic and uh, mindful and emotional. And I just uh, one of those things that I rejected, like I reject, at some point, I rejected that I had to be like that old boys club masculine energy vibe to accomplish what I wanted to accomplish. And in fact, I almost saw it as a challenge. Like, 
watch me show you how to not do all of those things and still Mm -hmm. achieve and get ahead. And let me change the trajectory for other women that come behind me and show them how to be high achieving, driven, smart as hell, but also very kind and empathetic and a good people manager and see myself as a whole person and see other people as a whole person. And so I think to answer your question directly, the work I did was in understanding the difference between this leading masculine or leading feminine energy. And I had to understand what that meant for me and how I wanted it to come out in my personality that felt authentic to me, but would still be productive in a professional work environment. And so even as recently as this week, I'm still constantly learning about masculine and feminine energy in the workplace. And so what I've decided is I can be high achieving, high performing person that expects a lot of myself and other people and still embrace my feminine energy. And I think that changes the way people see me. And I think it changes the way Mm. people believe that things have to be done and like the, the norm or the standards. And I think it helps shape a path. So the confidence came from delusion that I would actually be able to change some fundamental system. And just telling myself every day that I was getting closer to understanding how I want how I wanted my version of success to look. And I was okay with detaching myself from the outcomes as long as I felt really comfortable in the way in which I was moving through my life, my career, my relationships in a way I th- I thought would be effective. I knew based on all the stuff that I was reading, I don't like I don't read sales books because those are going to tell you to have masculine energy. I read Brene Brown. <laughs> who is yeah. <laughs> about empathy and shame and all these things that we do to each other in ourselves. So the confidence, I don't know exactly how it happened. I think it was just like slowly over time, I started with delusion and slowly over time, it was reinforced that it was working. Mm-hmm. And then it turned mm-hmm. into real confidence. I guess, you know, in in hearing you talk, what I'm curious to know about, and maybe it was before you were working is like, so you mentioned there there aren't good templates for doing this. You are creating them, which is awesome. Thank you. And that you have had to sort of reshape how things are. When you look back, is there like an an aha moment or a moment where you thought like, fuck this, this needs to be different? Or was there an experience where like somebody tried to put you in a box, which I know you hate, that you thought, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, no, you don't get to put me in a box. And I'm going to show you that we don't have to put people in boxes. I, I guess I'm just curious, like, was there like a confrontational point at any point in your life that you look back that like sent you on this journey of exploring how to rebuild and reshape how things are? It's a good question. And feel free to remind me if I'm forgetting about a specific experience. But no, I I, I'm like, really, I I don't know. And maybe you just are this way naturally. I'm just wondering, like, I guess, you know, more really bluntly, right? The question is, was there, did Kara Caruso come out of the womb just like curious about how to rebuild the world, which is totally possible? Or was there that like breakdown to breakthrough kind of moment that you had like a lightning bolt come through you? whether it was like when you were eight or whether when you were 24 that you were like, God, there's got to be a different way. <laughs> I, okay. So instead of there, and this is, this is the honest answer. There was not one or two macro events. It was really a series of tiny micro interactions that led to my belief system. And I think we can go back to like, I'm, 
one of three and I'm the only girl. I have two brothers and I was never with them. This may be this. There might be something here. My my parents didn't necessarily treat us differently, especially because I was a girl. They didn't look at my brothers and push them to have ambitions and drives and talk to me about being a homemaker and a mom like that. That was not a conversation in our house. And I, I do think that there's something to the fact that like when you're born, you a lot of your personality is set. And I was always somebody that was very, very curious. I was always setting goals for myself and I was dreaming big and I was always a little bit delusional. And I didn't know that I didn't have the vocabulary necessarily then to explain that. But I yeah. definitely always felt that way. And I was always somebody that had this kind of juxtaposition inside of me where, like I was saying to you, I, I did always feel ambitious and goal driven and like I wanted a lot for myself. But I was also very soft and nurturing. And it was kind of this push and pull. And so it Mm. left me internally feeling confused a lot. And I think Mm. the confusion came from societal norms telling you that you can't be both or a woman shouldn't Mm. be both. And you have to choose. And one has to be leading and one has to be lagging. And I really didn't feel like I knew who I was. Not that anybody knows who they are ever in their life. But I didn't feel confident in myself and who I was and my beliefs and any of those things until well into my 20s, like mm. middle school, high school, college. All I, I still didn't know because I felt this push and pull always inside of me. And so those were probably where the micro interactions started to shape and they started to build into this frustration where in my 30s or 20s, really, I just was like, I'm done with this. I'm sick of this and I'm not going to follow those rules anymore. I'm not going to follow those rules anymore. I would say that there were, you know, changing jobs is always a reflective time. And I think some of the companies that I worked for earlier in my career were, again, just the blueprint of what an old boys club looks like. But somehow I found success in it. And I definitely was always subconsciously trying to diagnose, why is that? Why is that? Is it because I'm playing into that? and hanging? Mm. Or Mm. am I actually breaking some mold here? And who knows? But definitely during some job changes, mid 20s, I just decided like, I'm going to just be me. I'm not going to try to be any version of myself that people tell me will be most successful. I'm just going to be me. And that is complicated, multifaceted, emotional and strong. It's both. And I'm going to see how that goes. So there was no macro event that really happened, but it was just a series of micro events that became overwhelmingly frustrating leading into like mid 20s. I was like, okay, I'm done with this. I love that. I think what I'm hearing from that is that you were just naturally curious and also naturally annoyed when people tried to put you in a box. And so you may have spent the majority of your life jigsaw, like, entertaining playing into different aspects of yourself and also figuring out how to jigsaw it so that it felt authentic, the overused word of the decade, authentic, authentic to you, yes. to like how to, how to show up. Okay. My so mom texted want, me, yeah. my mom texted me the other day and said, do you consider yourself to be a disruptive entrepreneur? And I laughed because I thought she definitely read that somewhere. I don't know where she read it. <laughs> And it's funny that she's asking me if that's what I consider myself to be. And I said, yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Because I, but I said, I I just think I consider myself a disruptor in general. If something that has been done a certain way doesn't make sense to me, and I think there's a better way or a way to feel better about it, I'm going to disrupt it. And she's like, yep, you've always been that way. Just curious. 
like went on with her day. But I thought it was funny. <laughs> you know what's interesting, Kara, just as I hear that, is as somebody that has known you, is lucky enough to have known you and watch you, I think you are that. And I think just to kind of put a bow on what we've been talking about, part of what makes you so good at disruption is that you lean into your feminine energy. So you don't necessarily disrupt or change or break down in like a bull in a china shop way. You do it with a level of finesse and you communicate in a way that embodies so much of your feminine energy with like masculine intention, if that makes sense, that it's like that's part of what makes your disruption so effective. And maybe I'm curious to know people that you've kind of blown their minds if they're thinking like, whoa, (laughs) what just happened? Because that sounded so soft and now we're going like a whole different direction, you know? So that's not a question. That's just more of a reflection of like, you're a very effective communicator. And I think it's because you employ some of your feminine energy in your communication, although you might have kind of a masculine intention. You can tell me if that feels totally off, but. No, I mean, I actually (laughs) really, really appreciate you hauling that out because it's something I work on every single day. And to keep it real, I think I've actually gotten really good at it in my professional life. And I still don't think I'm great at it in my personal life, specifically in my relationship. Mm. I think I can, when not in work mode, default to masculine energy, like, okay, got to get this done. Like, what? where's this? What's happening here? Like, very just harsh and masculine in how I communicate. And it's that. So, okay, check. I'm better at it in my professional life. But now I need to continue all of the work in my personal life communication because I want that exact same outcome and being perceived the same way in my personal Mm -hmm. life. And sometimes I'm just not great at it. I think that's fair. It's because, well, we could talk about that, actually. But I really want to ask you about a macro event that I know had a significant impact on your life. So I think we could have a whole nother conversation about <laughs> about employing what we do at work and like how and maybe we'll get there in this conversation, like how we could actually apply what we do at work to our families. But I want to pause for a second and pivot because when I think about macro events that have, I think, had an impact on how you show up in the world. I think your unmedicated delivery of your son took that confidence that you had been working on and just like skyrocketed it and allowed your, I don't want to take your words, but from what it looks like on the outside, it gave you a level of confidence that just has like permeated so many aspects of your life. And so I would love to hear how you decided or how you thought about having an unmedicated labor and delivery and what your experience has been after successfully doing that. Yeah, that's my that really still is my most proud moment of my life is the way I felt the moment after he came into the world. I got so <laughs> he was giant by the way for anybody <laughs> listening. This it was not for still is, but yeah. it was not it was not even a 6 pound maybe. It was like almost 9 pounds. Yeah. So I I thought about preparing for... Okay, so starting with the decision. I'll be very honest about why the decision was made. The decision ultimately was driven out of fear, my own fears. I am never been good around needles. It's not something that I really consciously made the decision of at any point in my adult life. My earliest memories as a kid, like getting a shot every time I throw up and faint every time. 
And I never really got why because my parents are both in medicine. So it's not like I wasn't exposed to that world. It just is how I am. And so my biggest fear in life from my earliest memory has been childbirth. I don't know if I've ever told you that. It was always childbirth and specifically the epidural. Because I always saw movies and shows about how big that needle was. And what I was taking away from those movies and shows wasn't how painful their experience looked and how dramatic and screamy and all of that it was. It was that needle. (laughs) And I always thought like, do you think I could get through this to myself? Do you think I could get through that needle? And I would talk to my mom about it. We reflect on this. We laugh about it sometimes. She's, yeah, that's always been your biggest fear, childbirth. You've been talking about it since you were 12 or earlier. (laughs) And so the decision to have a natural birth came out of fear if I'm being just totally honest and transparent. Mm-hmm. It was not because, yes, there are plenty of benefits to a natural childbirth that I enjoyed and thought was wonderful for my child, but that was not the driving reason. And so it was out of like necessity because I wanted to have a good experience. And again, I didn't accept the fact that like, yeah, you just get an epidural when you have a baby. That's how everybody does it. That's how you make it an enjoyable experience. And I was determined, no, I'm going to have an enjoyable experience and I'm not going to have an epidural because I don't think I could physically get through that. And (laughs) so (laughs) that's how it all started. And so like I prep for every, I'm a big prepper. Anything. Okay, but not in the sense that you have cans in your uh, food. Not a doomsday prepper. No, 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 no. I just mean when I'm, when I commit to doing something, I'm going to prepare and I'm going to show up well. That's all. Yeah. So I committed to it. And so I started the preparation process, which for me was finding a doula that I loved and trusted and doing every bit of research I possibly could about how to have a positive outcome in birth, Mm. safe and positive and enjoyable without an epidural naturally. That was my goal. And so the preparation of that looked just like preparation that I do for anything else. And it felt really good to me. I just consumed every bit of knowledge I possibly could. Research, courses, podcasts, talking to people that had done it everything I could get my hands on. And then I started incorporating like the positive outcome of childbirth into my meditations and that practice. And I I went through something called hypnobirthing, which isn't actual hypnosis, but it just helps you be armed with the tools of how to stay in a relaxed and meditative state during a very physically and psychologically traumatic experience that you go through. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that that was the prep part. And then Just like any goal you set for yourself, when you prepare and you put in the work and you make yourself vulnerable by putting that out there in the world, like people know you're trying to get this. So if it doesn't happen, they're also going to know it didn't happen. And that's scary, you know? So I did all of those things. But just like when you do that for anything else, when you do achieve it, you feel more confident in yourself, like you could set another big goal. And that is really how it all materialized for me. So I was determined. I had my reasons. I had my motivator. It was it was the perfect storm. I had my motivator. I had my reasons. I'm a committed, dedicated, consistent person when it comes to preparing. So I put in the work. And then game day <laughs> came. And I was prepared. I had the playbook. I did everything that I was supposed to do. And like childbirth, for anyone, it's completely unpredictable. And you don't know how it's going to go down. So the most important part of that prep was detaching myself from the outcome in mm-hmm. as many ways as I possibly could. So for me, it wasn't a badge of honor to have a natural birth. For me, it was, I, I have to do this to have an enjoyable birth experience in my view because I'm so damn scared of that needle. 
and I'm so freaked out of being put under. And there could have been so many reasons why it didn't happen. And on that day for me, it worked out. There could have been so many reasons. I could have had to have a C-section. Something could have been wrong with me. Something could have been wrong with the baby. Could have been in a bad position. So many reasons. It worked out. I do think a lot of that, I like. I want to give myself credit in that I did everything in my control to prep for a positive outcome. And some of that was like doing the things to get the baby in the right position and staying active and all that stuff. But there's a lot that you can't control. More you can't control than that you can. So on the day of, I, I did feel very calm. I did feel very prepared. I felt comfortable and confident in the space. And then my water broke at 6 a.m. And by three o'clock, I didn't really have painful contractions until like 10. And then by 3.30-ish, he was here. And then the moment after that, I didn't even, I'm kind of embarrassed admitting this, but my first thought when he came out wasn't, oh my God, I get to meet my baby. It was being impressed with myself and proud of myself. <laughs> And I Good. I looked at Frank and I was like, holy shit, I cannot believe I just did that. And he was like, baby's <laughs> here. <laughs> and, you know, the baby's like on my chest while I'm looking at him like, damn girl. So I did give myself that moment of like, great job. You crushed it. And then, then we get relished in like golden hour baby time. But yeah, I like to round it out. It was a very pivotal moment in my adult life that gave me it reinforced. I think it gave me a new level of confidence and reinforced mm. the confidence that I always had a suspicion that I had inside of me, but it solidified it and just up leveled my confidence in myself to I have done something harder than most people on the planet. And so carrying that in like a fundamental DNA part of my DNA it just makes me feel like I can do anything, you know? And I don't think you have to have a natural birth to get that feeling. I think you just have to get through birth (laughs) to have that feeling. But, you know, for me, it was a specific goal and I achieved it. And there's no better feeling than that, in my opinion. First of all, thanks for sharing that. And so funny about your first thought, which I actually think is reflective. And you can tell me if I'm wrong, but is reflective a little bit of just how you're sharing like your pregnancy and how you mom is like, it's okay to have confidence and celebrate yourself first, like as like a leading, like that's how you're leading. And it doesn't mean that your baby comes second. It means that like being proud of yourself is going to only like radiate out towards your family. And so you don't need to be embarrassed in sharing that. I think it's just reflective of how you show up. But I also think You call out some things that I think are really important because you know that I had a wildly different experience. And I think that it's like, but still left feeling confident and empowered. And I think like the idea is detaching from the outcome, doing understanding options and like the decision making throughout the journey, like knowing that they're your decisions. And that's like your decision was to not have an epidural and like being proud in your decisions and not let the medical system influence those decisions if they're unnecessary is the big <laughs> yeah. the big asterisk there because labor is real and raw and can be can be crazy so not everybody has that opportunity okay i want to make sure that we get to like how that confidence has impacted your launching a business while starting a job but i just want to know in here like you know from the outside if i saw kara cruz 
and I have the luxury of talking to you regularly. So I know some of the nuances, but I'm going to pretend that I don't. From the outside, if I saw Kara Cruz, she's this like amazing woman who's like rising in her career. She's like gets a promotion while she's pregnant. She has an unmedicated labor. Like, oh my God, in the first year of her life, she leaves a job, gets another promotion, starts this amazing business. Was your first three, six months of your baby's life and your first three, six months postpartum, were you radiating that confidence every single day? Or like, give us a little bit of insight into what what was happening in in the land of Kara day in and day out. <laughs> no, I wish I was. <laughs> That'd been way more fun. I my my first three, six months of my son's life, the high of feeling accomplished didn't last as long as I wished that it did. And in fact, going from achieving the goal to then being abruptly put into the reality of motherhood for the first time when you don't have a playbook and you don't know what you're doing and you don't know what to be anxious about or not. It was pretty intense. I don't I don't know whether I had postpartum depression. I don't think I did. I think I had a lot of anxiety like most moms do afterwards for yeah, the first time. Me too. And I definitely didn't, like I said, I didn't have the playbook. So there are all these things that as somebody who likes to do things right and likes to be prepared that you just simply can't prepare for. There's no amount of books you can read or podcasts you can listen to or conversations you can have with friends that will prepare you for how you personally are going to feel emotionally during those first few months. That was a little challenging to me. I felt good physically. I had a quick and easy recovery. My child was healthy, growing quickly yeah. at the rate of Hulk. That felt good. <laughs> um, I did. I had, I had trouble. I had trouble breastfeeding. So he was tongue tied and lip tied when he was born. And it just created some challenges for breastfeeding. So that was something that I immediately felt like I was failing at, which wasn't a great thing to start. I hope that I have a better experience with future children. But I I pretty quickly through conversations and support with friends, again, like detached from the outcome, the, out the, the end result that I wanted was a fed child. And so yeah. if that meant I had to pump instead of breastfeed, fine, let's do it. And if that meant I couldn't go as long as I originally wanted to, great, cool. He's going to be happy and healthy and survive. But that that did feel like an early failure for me, which sort of, you know, threw me off. And then after Matt leave... Going Oh, well, one other thing to acknowledge. My guilt around motherhood didn't come from having a big job that I was going to go back to or anything like that. My guilt came from the first few months where I didn't feel like I was enjoying it as much as I thought I would. It was boring. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel mm -hmm. stimulated. And I wasn't sure what I was supposed to be doing every day. And I didn't feel productive. And I didn't feel like I was contributing in a way that I historically had contributed in my life, like a number. I've always been in sales. And so that was a hard time for me, but it was a very important time for me to have the reflective moment of realizing how much of my self-worth was wrapped up in my intellectual ability, my contributions professionally, and really like my overachieving nature. I did not realize that so much of my self-worth was wrapped up in those core things that are taken away from you when you're on mm -hmm. mat leave. And thank God they were because I was able to actually face myself and look at myself for who I was at that time and then restructure priorities, which ended up being, I think, the superpower of all moms is 
we're amazing at prioritizing. We're amazing at being efficient and getting things done. And we're amazing at boundaries and saying no. And I got good at all those things that I probably wasn't amazing at before during my postpartum journey. But the most challenging thing that stands out to me in my postpartum journey was when I did go back to work, I was faced with the realities of my hormones were not fully balanced yet. My It takes a, like at least a year. And I went back to work at four months, which was not enough time. And I will never forget, I was at an onsite with a big customer with one of my reps that I managed in Toronto. And I was sitting in these meetings and I couldn't follow what was even happening in the meetings, which is a feeling I'd never felt before in my life. Couldn't follow what was even being discussed. Certainly didn't have anything valuable to add to the conversation. And I very much did not make an impact in those meetings. And being somebody that had all my self-worth wrapped up in intellectual quickness, being valuable professionally, and making a big impact, I was like, okay, 0 for 3. Didn't nail any of those things. And that was a very sobering thing for me. Sobering is not the right word. That tripped me out. And it did not feel good. And it set me on a pretty bad spiral, just not being confident that I'd ever get my brain back or I'd get my Mm -hmm. anxiety in check. And that's when Mm -hmm. the guilt started to set in. Like, wait, I'm away from my kid and I'm not even being productive. This is like lose-lose at the moment. So that took a good almost a year postpartum to feel better about myself. And I changed my supplements that I was taking and really focused on getting my health and wellness in in order. But I did not feel cognitively the same for a very, very long time. And some people probably don't have that experience at all. But for me, I like I felt dumb for a long time. And I didn't feel quick. And I didn't feel valuable. Would you what I just heard in that, and I guess I'm curious to know if you can name the after, and I think it may segue into what you're up to now, is it sounds like while super confident your self-worth was like external validation, it was like mm-hmm. achieving impact in conversations. 100%. In that conversation, in that trip that you took, do you feel like there was like an identity transformation? Is there an after that you would say like you don't like that version of you was like shed in that moment or like forced to shed because you weren't those things? I guess I'm just curious how you I don't again, I don't want to I don't want to name it for you, but I'm curious to know if you feel like a lasting after effect of that experience. Yeah. Kara after baby is a different person. This is when I had that conscious unlock of, oh, I'm a whole person. And everybody that I've ever been working with that's been a woman around me. I mean, men are whole people too, but specifically my lunch was <laughs> women <Yeah. laughs> are whole people. And I did, I never acknowledged what that person I used to work with who came back from mat leave early was going through internally to be at that offsite or to be at that meeting. And any feeling of judgment I had around them not wanting to participate or not wanting to be at everything was completely flipped on its head because I was experiencing what it looked like to be thriving in one area. I had just given birth. I had a beautiful, healthy baby. I was in perfect health and felt great afterwards physically, but I was not performing professionally. Oh, well, you know what? That's how it's going to be sometimes. And like, that's not where all of your value is going to come from. And so the whole person thing really unlocked for me after having gray and going back to work and experiencing all of those hardships, like mentally and cognitively. 
And so I think it's made me not only rewire the way I view myself and value myself on a day-to-day basis, but value other people as well and make them Mm -hmm. feel value. And my hope is that I will help other people see that in themselves and they can learn that faster than the rate of which I learned it. I hope that women, that I can make an impact on women to where they understand that way earlier in their life and they don't have to go through childbirth (laughs) to see it. (laughs) And they can lead with feminine energy and balanced energy and still be a boss and still be a high performer and achieve the wealth, abundance, happiness, life that they want while also seeing themselves completely, seeing other people completely and being soft and feminine. So that's really my takeaway from the experience. Would you say that that after Kara after baby is what spawned the launch of Gateless? For sure. Can you tell us a little bit about what Gateless is and how those two are intertwined? Yes. It felt like after coming out of the fog of having a baby and going back into the work world, there was this whole, there was literally this whole world that I didn't know about previously. And I didn't Mm -hmm. understand why no one talked about it and why there, I keep saying playbook, but like I was not given a playbook to late 20s, (laughs) early 30s, child rearing years while being a professional woman. Nobody handed me that guide. (laughs) I don't know about you. And that unlocked this thing for me, which was that that is pervasive in every aspect of our lives. The reason I wasn't handed that playbook is because most women that came before us were scared to talk about the realities of coming back to work. You had to just suck it up, get back in, get it done, do your thing, and pretend like that never happened to you. And pretend like you're not this new person now. You're the same old person that did the job and was great at it, etc. And that isn't limited to stepping into motherhood. That is inclusive of how to actually navigate the uncertainties and lack of confidence that you might have at the beginning of your career, but still still achieve and progress ahead and make good decisions and not feel like you have to play into the old boys club. That is inclusive of, you know, how to navigate corporate relationships and knowing that you're right, but not burning every bridge around you. And there's so many things. Please send me that playbook when you make it. (laughs) (laughs) Will do. So to me, it was this concept of why are we gatekeeping so much information from our, from each other? That's not mm. cool. And it doesn't make you better to hold somebody else back or to watch somebody else learn slower than they should and you withhold information that might help them. And I, I, I hate that concept. I've always hated that concept. And so I wanted to start a business around it. And the business started in the form of a podcast called The Gateless Podcast. And we interview women sharing their stories, their origin story, and how they reached their version of success. And they're women that are willing to share the playbook. And they all started in a very ordinary place. I'm not interviewing people that have already been put on a pedestal for having this humongous great success because of family connections or wealth or just having some head start. These are people that started and are self-made. And they're sharing their story and their journey along the way to reach their version of success. And they're very open to sharing the playbook of how to do it. And the hope of that is to inspire women to bet boldly on themselves and go do the big cool thing that you feel like you have inside of you. You just don't know where to start because you don't have that playbook. So I'm I'm determined to give other women the playbook. And that has recently launched into a community, a membership community where women can connect with each other and again communicate freely, share playbooks, ask questions. And this is this community is really probably meant for women that are 
mid 20s, like early ish in their career into mid to late 30s, and even beyond that. And if you're somebody that wishes that you could just ask the question of, oh my gosh, I have a huge meeting with my boss. Like, how do I prepare for this and nail it? I want to navigate a promotion. I want to build a portfolio career, not just take a linear path. Can somebody help me do that? I want to start my own business. I hate this company and I want to pivot complete industries. This is supposed to be a place where you can talk about all of that real time, freely. And there's women in the community that have been there, done that, and we'll share the playbook with you because it's so important for us to bring each other up and not just hold your secret sauce or what worked for you to yourself. (laughs) That's how Gateless started. And that's where it is now. That's where it is now. It'll be interesting to look back. Well, I know we're coming up on time, but I'm going to ask you one last question. And there's, it's hard for me to, it's been, I've been thinking about what my last question is going to be because I could probably ask you 10 more. But I guess I'm just curious as we wrap, like knowing that, knowing what you just shared about Gateless, if somebody who, you know, just found out they're pregnant, is a new mom, is in their first year and a half of postpartum, is there anything that we haven't touched on that you, that you wish you had been told that you'd like to share before we close? Oh my goodness. So many things. The biggest thing that I wish I had been told and didn't have to come to the conclusion on my own was that you don't have to choose and you can have it all. And that doesn't come without sacrifice in certain Mm. areas, but you can have everything that you want in terms of balancing a family, thriving relationships with your spouse, your children, your friends, and a big, bold career that fulfills you and is aligned with your passions. You 1000% can have both. You just have to get very clear on what it is that you want and what are, what are the things you're willing to sacrifice to have those things. And for me now, it's I'm willing to sacrifice hanging out on the weeknights with my friends. I'm willing to sacrifice watching TV. I'm willing to sacrifice Sunday afternoons when my son is napping, just chilling, doing nothing. And I replace those moments with building something or connecting with my husband or whatever it is. So you can totally, you can totally have it all. And I wish there was a playbook handed to me for that. (laughs) I love that. Well, with that, I'm going to just say thank you. It is awesome to talk to you in this capacity. And I pretty much guarantee that we'll probably have another conversation down the line and we'll look forward to hearing your continued growth. But Kara, thank you. Thank you. This was so fun. So fun. Thanks for hanging out with me today. To continue the conversation and learning, follow me on Instagram at mothercrafting. I'll catch you here next week.